You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The truth is that we are in a climate emergency. We have less than 10 years to make substantial changes to our society and way of life and our economy. I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. Those who have never fought for the colours they fly should be careful about criticising those who have. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, our top news this morning, COVID cases in the UK have topped 50,000 for the first time since mid-July. Just over 52,000 people have uh, reported that they've been infected in the latest 24-hour period, along with 115 coronavirus-related deaths. Now, the government has so far resisted bringing in new restrictions. Data may suggest why the focus uh, is on vaccinations. The Times reports that four in 10 people admitted to hospital with COVID-19 are not fully jabbed. And meanwhile, the Queen spent Wednesday night in hospital for what Buckingham Palace has called preliminary investigations. The monarch, who'd been ordered to rest by doctors and had to cancel a trip to Northern Ireland, has since returned to Windsor Castle. It is believed the 95-year-old monarch has resumed some of her duties. Right, well now, let's go on to the subject of today's special programme. The death of Sarah Everard, who was raped and murdered by a former Metropolitan Police officer and the killing of Sabina Nessa in London, have reignited a national conversation about the violence directed at women and girls. Prosecutions and convictions for rape have halved since 2016 in England and Wales, according to the long-awaited government rape review that was released this summer. And in July, the government also published its Violence Against Women and Girls strategy, adding some police to streets, extra funding, better lighting. But with one woman killed by a man on average every three days in the UK, according to data from the Femicide Census, is the anger over women's safety being met with effective action. Well, joining me now is Farah Nazir, who is the chief executive of Women's Aid that works against domestic abuse in England. Farah, welcome to the programme. This is a very difficult subject to, to discuss and to broach. Violence against women in the UK has been called an epidemic. Is it getting worse in your view? Thank you for inviting me. Um, absolutely, it is. It is. Um, it is getting worse. I mean, the numbers um, of female victims of all types of, of all types of homicides in England and Wales um, have gone up um, by about ten percent. Um, and as you say, the um, 
the rape the rape convictions and other forms of convictions have have gone down. So I would argue it is an epidemic. It is getting worse, and our responses. Um, and are not adequate as a society. And the kinds of things we're seeing government come out with to date um, really are, are not going to solve the, the cultural crisis, which allows the violence against women and girls to be permissive and tolerable. So how do we reduce violence against women and girls in this country? Well, I think there are a range of things that we, that we need to do. Um, <clears throat> I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to prioritise it. Um, it's not just about um, you know making a lot of noise it's also about government and all of those statutory agencies the police the criminal justice system health system social care systems all of them thinking this is a priority we are absolutely going to ensure that there is adequate funding behind this and we're going to invest in in things like training working with specialist women's rights organizations we're going to work on prevention. We're going to work on 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 sort of cultural institutions to see what's what's permissible, what's going out there. We're going to put in place more robust um, recruitment procedures, particularly for those statutory agencies like police. So there's a whole host of things that could be done. Um, mm-hmm. Simply putting in place um, street lighting and um, plainclothes police officers is not going to cut it. It doesn't change or shift the culture which allows violence against women, which is violence perpetrated against women because they are women, um, to become intolerable. The Minister for Safeguarding, Rachel McLean, has said that the government has a whole system approach for tackling violence against women and girls. Uh, 650 more police officers on the streets, £3 million to review rape investigations, £25 million for the Safer Streets project, adding, for example, better CCTV. What would you say to the government if they were here and they said that we have this whole system approach? Well, I'd, I'd probably say to them first that, you know, our, 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 we, we at Women's Aid believe it will take, you know, almost a quarter of a million pounds um, to begin to tackle just services around around um, violence against women. So ensuring proper community-based services for when women have experienced violence, be it rape or domestic abuse or, or, or any other forms of violence, to ensure safe refuges, to ensure that the helplines that women can call and use are in place and so on. I mean, that, that, the kind of funding you've outlined goes nowhere near that, um, and that's just for services. Are we making it mandatory for all statutory bodies to take up proper training on, on violence against women and girls, on domestic abuse? Um, not yet. Um, so, for example, of the 43 police forces, 14 of them, almost a third of them, haven't yet taken up the domestic abuse matters training on on, on violence against women and girls. Yeah, you know, have are we sure that we've got proper health services in place? Absolutely not. And th- these whole system approaches are just not part of the government's co- rhetoric, um, and it's not um, it's not part of the culture right now. What we don't have is all parts of government committing to ensuring that all forms of domestic abuse and all forms of violence against women will be no more. And that's the kind of strong commitment we need government to come out with, not sort of um, these piecemeal approaches that you've just outlined. Should we classify misogyny as a hate crime? Is it problematic when it comes to equality law? I mean, I think I think I think it's 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 a shame that it's been dismissed out of hand. But I think what is more important right now 
is that we ensure that the laws that we currently have are actually being put in place and are actually being used. So, for example, Claire's law, which allows a, um, a person to, 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 to check with the police to see whether or not um, a partner um, is, is, it has a history of, of, of abuse or violence, is, is really important. But the processes and procedures are not yet in place across the police force for that. Now, rape conviction rates are deeply, deeply problematic. Um, we hear from women across the country every day that they are not believed by police. We know that the criminal justice system is not is not um, is not a is not a good place for women to be. They often tell us that women say that they feel re-traumatized by going through the court system, and that sometimes it's even you know it, it, it reminds them of the trauma that they've experienced at the hands of an abuser. Um, it can be worse. You know, so, so, so these these systems and the laws that we already have need to work better. And I, I, I think the government really need to prioritise that. And what I would like to see is the kind of strategy and approach that takes into account all of these systems and all of these laws and actually looks to prioritise them for the statutory authorities and mm. funds them fully. Should there be a full independent investigation then into violence against women and girls within the police service itself? I'm, I'm coming back to the Everard case in and of itself that, that along with a number of other high profile murders, um, really brought this, you know, to, to the fore in, in terms of the discussion in, in the UK. Should there be a full independent investigation in terms of policing? I, mean, I think I think I think absolutely there 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 should be, and perhaps the the current in, in, in investigations that have been launched will 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 investigate that more more thoroughly, and will begin to, to generate the recommendations that need to be put in place. However, I think we know a lot of things that need to happen already. We don't need to wait for the findings of an investigation to do some of those things. So, you know, training is absolutely critical. Far more robust. Um, um, recruitment processes and tackling the culture. You know, if you look at the if you look at the Sarah Everard case, the the, 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 the her murderer, um, he he was known to forces to be creepy, to be a misogynist, to have very strange views towards women, to have um, exposed himself. And we know that there is an escalation with perpetrators. And for that to have been permissible, to have not been considered important enough to be aired and tackled and addressed. Is really, really the the, the 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 nub of the problem. It's it's about the culture that allows for that to be okay, um, and then you see that escalation, which resulted in Sarah Everard's murder. So it is that there is there are some key cultural issues that need to be tackled within the Met, but but within, but within policing mm. forces across the country, and I think that's that's really where some really strong interventions are needed, and that could look like training, that could look at more look, look at more mm. robust. Um, recruitment processes, but that could also look at ensuring that more women are in the force. So we know, again, from, from the women we work with, that women are far more comfortable about disclosing violence and talking about their situation and their context with other women. Um, but the Met currently has the third lowest number of women across its force. Just briefly, are things getting any better? We heard about the rise in violence during the lockdowns. Is it at least better from your sort of personal experience with people that you see now that that perhaps is over? 
I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's better. I think, I think, I think, I think it's, it's, it, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it diminish. Mm. Um, what we are quite worried about now is the, um, is the spike. So the most dangerous time for a woman and her children is that point at which they're about to leave a violent situation. So with the easing of lockdown a lot, and, and the opening up of services and the opening up of opportunities for escape, what we, what we are concerned about is that the services, are the services ready, are the police ready, are the courts ready um, to actually deal with you know, women finally being able to, to flee from violence and, and flee those abuses. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now to the subject of our special programme today, violence against women and girls in Britain and actions to address it in the wake of a number of shocking murders. Joining me now is Cordelia Tucker O'Sullivan, who is the Senior Policy and Public Affairs Manager at the Women and Children's Charity Refuge. Good to have you on the programme, Cordelia. This is obviously a difficult subject, but a very important one. We know that the pandemic has meant uh, more violence against women and girls behind closed doors at a very, very difficult time. As we've emerged from this, what have you seen at Refuge? Thanks very much for having me on, Caroline. Um, absolutely. The pandemic has really shone a light on uh, the hidden um, epidemic, if you like, um, of violence against women and girls, demonstrating that for home, uh, for many women and children, is not a safe place. What we've seen over the pandemic is um, a huge um, increase um, in demand on our, our services, particularly the National Domestic Abuse Helpline, and not only a huge increase um, in, in the volume of callers that are reaching out to us often for the first time, but a huge increase in the complexity of calls. Uh, we have survivors who... For example, we may have advised go to a local housing office um, and seek emergency accommodation. But when those housing offices are closed because all the staff are working from home, that option for many women uh, suddenly didn't exist anymore. Um, And so it put a a huge strain um, on our services, which thankfully we were able to respond to um, by recruiting additional staff um, and the additional emergency funding for those services that the government released. Um, But unfortunately, now that funding has ended, but we are Mm. seeing no signs of that demand in our services slowing down. Well, what do you think of the government's strategy now on violence against women and girls? There have been a number of reports in recent months, um, you know, the, the rape review, for example, uh, the government's um, full strategy document. What do you make of some of the measures that the, the government is offering? For example, more police officers on the street, a review into rape investigations, the safer streets funding, you know, to have better lighting and CCTV cameras. There are some really good 
elements in the strategy, not least the ambition to increase the support to survivors um, and holding perpetrators to account. So we particularly welcome the public awareness raising campaign. It's really important that the public understanding of what domestic abuse looks like, particularly non-physical abuse, um, is really pushed and prioritised. Um, and we also really welcome the intention to focus on prevention and tackling the root causes uh, of violence against women and girls. Um, and you mentioned um, the some of the criminal justice measures, and we certainly um, welcome that renewed focus on violence against women and girls. Um, however, from refugees' perspective, we do see it as a missed opportunity uh, to be bolder. You know, violence against women and girls has never been higher on the public or political agenda. Um, in particular, the biggest issue with the strategy is that there's so little funding attached to it, and um, specifically regarding specialist support services, which really should form the cornerstone of the response to violence against women and girls. The reality is that only one in five of the survivors that refuge supports will ever report to the police. So the response cannot just be or so um, grounded in the criminal justice system response. It must be more holistic. Um, and we know that for domestic abuse services alone, uh, an estimated £409 million a year is needed um, and nothing like that has been committed. Mm. Well, what else could society more broadly do to tackle you know violence against women and girls it, it's not just to the responsibility surely of government I mean you know the the source of the growing um, as you call it epi epidemic of violence it's it's a difficult one what else should society in the UK be doing so I think that one of the things that's really really critical is really understanding that domestic abuse affects every aspect of women's lives. And so it's important for, when we're thinking about the UK and, and the government in particular, that every government department has a programme of work um, to support survivors and ultimately prevent um, domestic abuse from happening. One of the ways in which we think there's a real opportunity at the moment um, is the government making good on its commitments to make the internet safer for women. This has been a core priority for them as chair of the G7. Uh, the online safety bill or the, the draft bill um, has been introduced and was recognised in the strategy um, as a key protective mechanism but for children rather than adult survivors of domestic abuse. Um, we think that because social media companies um, are not responding to survivors in the way that we know they need to keep safe online, that the online safety bill is that key opportunity to increase that support and protection, um, but it needs to be amended in order to explicitly recognise violence against women and girls, um, which currently it doesn't. Um, mm. and we think that the online safety bill, together with um, the domestic abuse strategy, which is being published um, imminently, uh, will serve as real tests of intention um, and demonstrate that uh, the government really is committed to tackling this um, by ensuring that every government department has a programme of work to uh, respond to and ultimately prevent domestic abuse. Um, there were protests in the wake of the murder of Sarah Everard um, uh, and then the jailing of, of the perpetrator. Has anything changed, do you think, since that, that awful event? 
I mean, it's, it's absolutely devastating. And I think that what these uh, these cases that have been particularly um, high profile recently, it reflects the distrust that many of the women we support have always had in the police. It has been uh, from when we first started providing services 50 years ago that distrust of, of the police and the police response to domestic abuse cases um, as uh, low harm or not as important um, as other types of crime um, is something that has always uh, been, been present. I think the thing that I have noticed the most is that this does seem to be a sea change moment when we're working with uh, with survivors, but also when we're working with those government ministers and officials working in government departments, there really feels like a, a huge appetite to really make a change. Mm. When it comes to what those changes are, the proof really is going to be in the pudding. We do have some fantastic recommendations, for example, in the recent um, HMIC report um, on police engagement um, with women and girls. Mm. And there's some really strong recommendations, for example, for example, putting domestic abuse and violence against women and girls um, as a priority for the government and policing on a par with, with terrorism, which is really um, strong uh, wording from the inspectorate. Um, one of the things that they also um, said was uh, potentially an issue is in the policing bill, um, the serious violence uh, prevention duty, which at the moment doesn't recognise violence against women and girls as serious violence. Um, and we are campaigning along with our, our colleagues um, in the sector to to change that, to make yeah. sure that the police and other agencies um, have to take this seriously. But, but there isn't even a separate women's minister in this government. There is definitely, I think, um, an issue when it comes to actions uh, matching rhetoric. So I think that absolutely, um, you know, having a separate minister for, for women and equalities and having something with that distinct portfolio, I think, would be in a, step, a step in the right direction. Ultimately, it is concrete proposals such as uh, funding for specialist services, as I've already mentioned, as well as implementing the recommendations from these reports that we already have, um, mm. which have been put together by experts. Um, engaging with the specialists um, such as um, ourselves and with survivors and actually making sure that that results in real change to survivors um, Mm. on the ground. Do you think then amidst this misogyny should be a hate crime, hate of women? So we do support the campaign to make misogyny a hate crime, um, an amendment have been laid to the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill, which we um, support. The reality is is that misogyny and patriarchy um, is the driver for um, domestic abuse and wider forms of violence against women and girls, uh, which is why we were concerned that um, there is a separate domestic abuse and violence against women and girls strategy. And what is critical now is first that the government um, agrees to this amendment. We think it's vital in kind of really driving awareness and understanding of what ultimately domestic abuse is and therefore ensuring there is an effective response to it. Um, But as as well as that, making sure that the domestic abuse strategy, which hasn't yet been published, recognises the gendered nature of domestic abuse at the outset and throughout and that the two strategies are cohesive, comprehensive and ultimately um, survivor-centred. 
What is your hope then for the women that you work with as we head towards Christmas and hopefully out of a period of very difficult lockdowns? I think now is a really critical um, time, particularly when it comes to opportunities that we have to make good on these commitments. You know, we heard from the Home Secretary, enough is enough. And, you know, the the women's sector Mm. and the survivors that we work with absolutely echo echo that and have felt that way for a very long time. We have, as I said, the policing bill, the online safety bill, which these legislative mechanisms to really enhance that protection. But we also have the comprehensive spending review. Now is the time to really ensure that the National Domestic Abuse Helpline is fully funded, that these support services are, are fully funded, and that survivors can access those services when they need them. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.